It's Matt Larkin here. It's Ryan Kennedy here with the Hockey News running down a crazy day one of 2021 free agency. I barely know what day it is. I have to go to the bathroom. I can barely breathe. It has been absolutely bananas, Ryan. We have 101 signings, but as I speak that sentence, the number increases to 102 because Linus Allmark has apparently just signed with the Boston Bruins as I'm speaking these words. That's how crazy the day has been. Ryan and I are going to run through the winners and losers so far. Producer Stephen Ellis will update us while we're talking in case anything else breaks. But for now, Ryan, let's go through the winners and losers of this crazy day. Let's go back and forth, okay? We're going to nominate teams back and forth. We're going to start with the winners. So give me your first winner team so far. Well, for my first winner, I'm going to go with the Dallas Stars. I thought they made some pretty savvy moves already. And, you know, we, as we've discussed on the podcast lately, they're going to be getting healthier too, which obviously helps. Getting Ryan Suter uh, gives them a sick top four on defense with Mira Heskinen, Essa Lindell, and John Klingberg. Uh, I think they have some amazing depth there now. I, I think, you know, defense has really been kind of the bread and butter of the Stars when they've had a lot of success in the playoffs, uh, including going to the final in the bubble. Uh, I think Suter obviously has um, – not a lot to prove, but I feel like he's going to have a great chip on his shoulder because he was bought out by the Minnesota Wild. This gives him a chance to really sort of say, hey, I'm, I'm not done yet. I've still got a lot of good hockey in me. So Suter, obviously, kind of the, the crown jewel there for Dallas. But then, you know, you get Luke Lendenning as a depth guy, sort of, you know, a bottom six center. I, I think he can kind of replace Jason Dickinson, who you lost in trade. Obviously, Glendenning's older, but... Um, probably cheaper in the long run. And then, you know, Braden Holtby, a bit of a surprise Dallas grabbing him uh, for their crease, but it gives them insurance and it gives them flexibility. Obviously, Ben Bishop coming off, a, you know, massive injury. Uh, you've still got Anton Hudobin. Um, and then you have Jake Ottinger. But what I like about the Holtby signing is it allows Ottinger to take a heavy AHL workload this season you know, this is a goaltender with tremendous promise who showed us just how high-end he could be in some spot duty with the Stars this past season. But you want him getting minutes this year. And if he's doing that with the Texas Stars, that's fine. Um, if Bishop's healthy, then maybe you move Kudobin or Holtby um, and pick up another asset. Uh, I just I just like the, the flexibility that it gives GM Jim Nill. And I think Dallas has put themselves in a very good, good position in a Western conference that all of a sudden is looking a little more wide open than it was a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. And flexibility is a good term because, you know, 
if it turns out that Ben Bishop is not healthy, there's the ability now to sort of dangle Anton Kudobin. Because I, I do think Jake Ottinger showed a lot last year. I think he showed he's NHL ready. So you could go with a battery of Ottinger and Braden Holtby now if, if Ben Bishop ends up on LTIR and then you dangle Kudobin to one of the goaltending-starved teams. We'll see what happens. My first winner, I have the LA Kings. I've been on this train all summer long. I think the Pacific Division is weak. And I think it can be exploited this year by a team that's ready to make a leap. I think GM Rob Blake un understands that. He knows this team has reached that critical mass in terms of piling up prospects. So many. Their system is highly rated in our Future Watch magazine. And they already go out and get Victor Arvidsson to the trade. Another move they made today, of course, signing defenseman Alexander Edler. Left side help. Maybe he ends up playing with Drew Doughty. We'll see. Three and a half million dollars. But the big move, the reason why I call LA a winner today is signing Philip Deneau to that big contract, six year deal of five and a half million dollars. Is it going to age well at the end of the deal? Maybe not. But I, I do think, at least, at least for the very first half, it's an important contract for LA. I love what it does in terms of, and I wrote about this on our website, the ripple effect, because Philip Deneau, he's established himself. He's one of the premier shutdown centers in the game. With him in that lineup, you already have a great shutdown center, one of the best of this era in Andre Kopitar. Kopitar has better raw offensive ability than Deneau. With Deneau there now, he's going to be the guy you're throwing against Connor McDavid when the Kings play the Oilers. That gives Kopitar the insulation now. He's going to face much tougher or much easier matchups, rather, and he might post some of his better offensive numbers in a while. There's also a ripple effect. If you look at the, the tree, the center tree, I, I tweeted it. LA's got six first-round picks at center now because you also have Quinton Byfield, Gabe Velarde, Alex Turcotte, Rasmus Kapari, and they all have insulation now. It gives you the ability. You can move Turcotte, for example, to the wing if you want to. So I do think that Deneau, by him being there and taking those tough matchups, not only is he going to help LA defensively, he's actually going to help them offensively because the other guys in that lineup can focus on scoring more, which is something that LA really needs. Give me your next winner, Ryan. Well, for my next winner, I'm going with the newest team in the NHL, the Seattle Kraken. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people were a little underwhelmed with how the expansion draft went for them, in particular the fact that there were uh, no side deals of consequence. But I think now we're seeing a bit of that leverage that they had. They went out and got the best goalie on the free market in Philip Grubauer. Um, and now... They have the flexibility where they can flip either Vitek Vanacek or Chris Dreger. Um, you know, both goaltenders have uh, a lot of positives to them. Both their contracts are, are very digestible. And obviously Seattle doesn't need three NHL goaltenders right now, especially when they have Joey Decord as well, who I think will probably be, you know, the guy they send to AHL Charlotte with their sharing affiliation until their team gets up and running in, in Palm Springs uh, in two falls. Um, so Grubauer obviously gives them a great starter, best finalist, um, you know, seven shutouts in 40 starts for the Colorado Avalanche last year. Uh, so obviously a, a great deal of value there and they get them long-term, which is nice and not a huge ticket. I thought it was a pretty reasonable number. This is not your Sergei Bobrovsky contract. Uh, this is a, a very easy one uh, for Seattle to take on. And then they get Alex Venberg uh, and Jaden Schwartz. And these are two forwards that give them a lot more skill than they had before the day began. I still think the Kraken need a true number one center, but maybe that's somebody that they just have to draft and develop. Venberg, I think he can be that number one for now. And you're just kind of assuming that you're not going to be a high scoring team. Uh, you're probably not going to have a hot power play, 
but that's okay because you have a pretty good defense. And as I just mentioned, you've got a pretty nice goaltender now as well. And Jim Schwartz obviously helps on the wings and gives you a lot of good offense and, uh, you know, play as well. On top of all that, you still got about $15 million in cap space. They've got a couple of RFAs to deal with, most notably Vince Dunn and Will Borgen, uh, neither of whom I would believe would break the bank. Um, so with the Kraken, you've still got your flexibility, you've got your cap space, but your lineup is a lot more fleshed out now, and uh, I think they're in pretty good shape. For sure. And with all the depth they have on defense, you never know. Do they end up using Vince Dunn as a trade piece as well? We know they've been linked to Ryan Strom. If they're trying to get stronger at center, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't have New Jersey as an official winner yet, uh, but Steven's telling me that it's being reported now that the deal is close to being done with the Devils. Uh, but I'm not going to call the Devils a winner with Dougie Hamilton yet. We'll wait until that's official. So I'm going to give the Winnipeg Jets a shout out. Um, to me, this is a team that, you know, Yes, they're making moves that are very win-now oriented, but I think they understand this is their window. They have to take their shot right now. And they've really strengthened their blue line, trading for Nate Schmidt, who wasn't fit in Vancouver, and bringing in Brendan Dillon, who's a really good penalty killer, brings a lot of brawn. And if you look at that defense core, they're not just 60, they're 70. So you have Nate Schmidt, you have Brendan Dillon, you have Josh Morrissey, Neil Pionk, Dylan DeMello, who they did well to retain for the expansion draft, Logan Stanley and Billy Hamela. That's a really deep group now. And this is a team, their identity is supposed to be their forward talent. But now I think they're looking much more solid on defense, which is really important because Connor Hellebuck, one of the reasons why he's so celebrated right now is the fact that he's been bailing out this team. I don't think enough people talk about how poor the Jets have played defensively the last couple of seasons. High danger chances galore. And Connor Hellebuck, the reason why he won the Vezina in 2020, is he was bailing them out. So it's nice to see some help finally coming in there. I think the Jets theoretically should be a lot more balanced. Do you have any other winner teams, Ryan, or are you ready to go to the losers? Well, I thought we were doing three, so I do have one more. Uh, I'll go with uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, this is a team, you know, we knew there would be some losses. And, you know, Yanni Gord gone in the expansion draft, Tyler Johnson gone by a trade. But I still think that Tampa Bay is looking pretty hot right now because they have that great core that they've managed to keep together. Uh, you know, Braden Point actually just signed a, a huge extension that doesn't kick in yet, but nice to have certainty there. So you've got Kucherov, you've got Point, you've got Stamkos, you've got Hedman, you've got McDonough, you've got Sorelli, you've got Vasilevsky in net. You get the backup you need in Brian Elliott, a guy that can just sort of spell Vasilevsky whenever you have, say, three games in four days, that sort of thing, even on some back-to-backs. I thought uh, picking up Pierre-Edouard Belmare, uh, perfect bottom sixer, really fits in with what Tampa Bay has been doing the few, in the past few years. And you get him on the cheap, so that's nice because we know Tampa Bay doesn't have that much cap space. And then bringing back Zach Bogosian, here's a guy that knows your system, He's won with you before, and he can also give you, you – you just need bottom-pairing minutes from Bogosian right now. I thought he was one of Toronto's better defensemen uh, in that first round against Montreal. Uh, he can certainly give that to Tampa Bay. And I think, you know, uh, even though Julian Brisebois, the, the GM, didn't have a lot of space to play with and he knew there would be losses, I thought he did really well. And I, I still feel confident that Tampa Bay is one of the best teams in the NHL. All righty. Uh, if I'm looking for one more winner, it pains me a little bit to say it because off the ice, I do not support the way this team has conducted itself 
Uh, but if we're talking in this context, we're talking purely on the ice. So that's an important disclaimer here. The Chicago Blackhawks have done well in the last few days. They make the big Seth Jones trade. They overpay him, of course, but they bring in Jake McCabe, who I think is really underrated. I said it on our main podcast, his defensive impact. JJ Kyra is really physical. He's just a wild man out there with the amount of body contact you get when he's on the ice. And Marc-Andre Fleury, in theory, if he's going to play. I do not like the way Chicago – I mean, there's so much they've done wrong, but even if we're just talking the last 24 hours alone – uh, it, it, it's 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 debatable whether Mark Andre Fleury is going to play for this team. We know there's been reports that he's not interested, but if we're talking just on the ice, this team has obviously made itself better. I don't think anybody can deny that. So fair enough, Chicago. Uh, give me a loser team now. Who's at the top of the list of teams that have disappointed today? Well, I look at the Carolina Hurricanes, and you know, as you mentioned, Dougie Hamilton. Uh, to New Jersey is not done, you know, right this second, but it's looking like a foregone conclusion. And I mean, Carolina, it's really hard to replace one of the best offensive defensemen in the league, uh, which Dougie Hamilton has been the past few seasons. You know, they bring in Anthony D'Angelo, which is a bit of a PR nightmare uh, based on his reputation. And, you know, frankly, just his his defensive play is uh, not very pretty to look at either. Um, So you're obviously not replacing Dougie Hamilton with Anthony D'Angelo. You you do bring in Ian Cole. I thought that was a good move, Uh, but he's a defensive, defensive guy. Uh, You know, he's not going to help on the offensive end. Goaltending, you know, we talked about them letting Alex Nedeljkovic essentially go, uh, you know, even though it was by a trade. Um, but Freddie Anderson, he's not a playoff goalie. And Carolina at this point, I mean, that's all you're shooting for. You're trying to get this team to the next level. You're trying to get this team at least to a Stanley Cup final. And Freddie Anderson has never been the better goalie in a playoff series um, at least not during any of his Toronto tenure. I guess if you went back to his Anaheim days, maybe he was. But it's been a very long time since Freddie Anderson has truly shown up in the playoffs. You know, are you are you counting on Anderson to just be a very good regular season goalie and then send it over to Auntie Ronta in the playoffs? I'm not really sure what the strategy is, but it feels like for a team that needs to strike now, Carolina didn't get it done. Yeah, I'm with you. I wrote about it on the website today, too. Supposedly, you know, you send away Alex Nedeljkovic because you're trying to play it safe and you bring in two risky guys, uh, both with recent checkered injury histories. That's supposed to be safe. To me, it was very ironic. I think it's a bigger gamble than if you just held on to your rookie who had a 932 save percentage and was a Calder Trophy finalist. But hey, that's just me. I'm not an NHL GM. Uh, my first loser on the list, I've got the Colorado Avalanche. And you, we spoke about them on the, our main podcast earlier this week, Ryan. Uh, I mentioned the idea that Stephen's going to say something. I'm going to finish my sentence first, okay, Stephen? I can't lose this train of thought, okay? Uh, but I mentioned the idea that if the Avs, they have to just retain what they have in terms of their key core guys. They do retain Gabriel Landis, but they lose Philip Grubauer. There are reports they were offering him, offering him uh, five years at $5 million per year. That means they weren't able to, to just bridge that $900,000 gap, which to me, you got to find a way. And now they're scrambling. Okay, Stephen, you're on. What do you got for us? Dougie Hamilton, seven years, $9 million per season with the Devils. Okay, so... 
Okay, so it looks like they paid him what he was actually worth. We reported that, uh, or at least we speculated that in the months leading up in terms of whether he would get Alex Petrangelo money. But it's crazy, the gap, because the report out of Carolina was that he was being offered something in the low sixes. So, Ryan, what is your immediate reaction to this signing? Well, I mean, I think it's great for New Jersey. And, you know, this is a matter of the Devils taking that next step. You know, you think about some of the moves they've made. Um, they're, they're really getting there. That defense, that defense core is looking much more solid with Dougie Hamilton there. I think, you know, you've got Ty Smith on the rise. You got a veteran in Damon Severson. Um, I think the devils are really going in the right direction. And this is sort of a statement that they're not going to be that team you roll over in the Metro division anymore. And, you know, getting him long-term, I think is key because I think that Metro division, we're going to see a lot of churn in the coming years. You know, Columbus is going down, Philly probably going down, uh, even if they don't know it. Pittsburgh and Washington, I think are still going to be okay for another year. But after that, I think they're on their way down. You got the Islanders really steady, the Rangers on the way up. Um, You know, Carolina, obviously, Good regular season team. Not sure what this means for them, you know, playoff wise, but I think New Jersey had to make a statement and Tom Fitzgerald has made it. So good on him. All right. And with that, I can officially retract my claim that Chicago was one of my top three winners and I can replace the Blackhawks with the Devils. I feel much better about that. Uh, and I do agree with you, Ryan. I think, you know, I've said this repeatedly, but the Devils that they were a lot better than what they showed last year because they were pretty unlucky with the COVID. Their young guys made strides. I think Jack Hughes sort of epitomizes what the team went through. He was extremely unlucky. All his smaller underlying metrics improved drastically in year two, but the results didn't come there. And to me, he kind of was uh, emblematic of the of the whole team. They deserve better, and I think they will be better next year. So who else do you have in the losers category? Okay, well, I mean, my next team was the Vancouver Canucks. And... Yeah, I, I didn't mind all the moves that the Canucks made, um, but their defense core right now, uh, particularly on the right side, is looking like a bit of a nightmare. And it's not a cheap nightmare either. And I think the most sort of disturbing part is that the Canucks have about $16 million with the cap space now. They have yet to sign Elias Pettersson. They have yet to sign Quinn Hughes. And then, you know, they trade for Jason Dickinson. He's an, he's an RFA like those other two. They don't have him under contract yet either. So you've thrown around all this money, but you don't have your best forward under contract. And I would say Quinn Hughes at this point is probably their best defenseman, uh, or at least has the potential to be their best defenseman this season, uh, this upcoming season. You don't have him under contract either. So what's it going to cost? And, you know, we've heard rumors of an offer sheet uh, for Patterson. They're just rumors and, you know, offer sheets. We really don't see that often these days. But if I'm another team right now, I'm looking at Vancouver's cap situation and say, hey, we could really put them in a bind if we offered Pedersen $9 million a year uh, on a long-term contract. And honestly, would that be so wild for a player with that kind of upside that plays like a number one center with the talent of Elias Pedersen? Why would you not offer him $9 million uh, over seven years and make Vancouver match. I think that would just be a, a savvy play. And the worst thing that could happen is you get Elias Pettersson in your lineup, which would be pretty hot. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty worried about Vancouver's back end. Like I say, you know, the, the Yarrow Halak signing, I thought that was pretty good. 
Um, you know, you get Brandon Sutter back on a cheap deal. That's fine. But uh, overall, structurally, I think Vancouver's got some problems. Fair enough. An interesting point about Elias Pettersson as well. Maybe, maybe you're offering, you offer him the Jack Eichel deal, but instead of eight years, seven, but maybe you go 10 million if you really want to try and pry him. I, I personally, I believe that offer sheets are, they're Loch Ness monsters. They're, they're myths. They almost, they almost don't exist. Uh, I have the Edmonton Oilers as a loser. I just don't understand. I don't. Look at me, camera. What are they doing? I don't understand it. I do not understand what this team is doing. It's not just the personnel they're bringing in. You know, I'll put I'll put the Zach Hyman deal aside. I, I, I'm willing to defend it. I think he's going to actually be very helpful in the short term. You have to give him that term and money because it's competitive to sign him. I think he'll be a really nice fit playing with David. He's shown he can play with elite players and so on and so on. I think that move is totally fine. But bringing in guys like Cody Cece and you, and with term, I just don't understand what this team is doing. You're bringing in Duncan Keith. You lose Adam Larson. You trade away Caleb Jones. You trade Ethan Bear. I'm just, I can't keep up on the decisions uh, that are being made on the back end. You've also re-signed Mike Smith into his 40s now for multiple seasons. So I just, I can't condone the decisions overall of this team so far uh, in terms of hockey personnel. I, I don't know if this team's better. I don't believe that they are, but I could be wrong. Who else is on your losers list? Well, the last one I have here is the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, a big part of it is kind of the flip side of what you were saying about Philippe Deneau going to Los Angeles, where he gives them all that great depth. I think in losing him, Montreal's in a tough spot right now. You know, Nick Suzuki, uh, obviously he's proved himself as a great top six center. The chemistry with Cole Caulfield and Tyler Toffoli, fantastic. But with no Deneau, how do you play the matchup game, just even in your own division at this point? You know, if you're playing Toronto, you got Austin Matthews, you got John Tavares. Do you do you do you go head to head Suzuki with one of those guys? And then you know, if so, who goes up against the other one? Do you seriously want to have Kakaniemi against some of those guys? I mean, you're going to get slaughtered. And you know, I guess you got you know Jake Evans uh, who can play center, and you know Cedric Paquette comes in. You know, I guess he can play center, but he's a bottom six guy. Uh, I just worry that, you know, you lose to know, you know, Weber might be done. Price might be gone for a long time due to injury. That's a ton of veteran experience just out the door. And you got to fill those spots. I think Montreal's going to have a really tough time doing that. The Mike Hoffman signing was really perplexing because you have an offense-only winger um, who can help on the power play, except you need him on the power play when you've already got to fully Suzuki, Caulfield. I just don't see a real fit there. And, you know, I saw, I think it was Pierre Lebrun speculating that Hoffman was replacing Thomas Tatar. And that makes sense, uh, which also says to me that if, if the Montreal Canadiens somehow miraculously make the playoffs, they will be benching Mike Hoffman, much like they did with Thomas Tatar. Uh, it just doesn't seem... It just doesn't make sense to me, particularly when it seems like Jonathan Drouin is coming back on the wing as well, another player who is mostly an offensive threat. Um, and then, of course, you have owner Jeff Molson releasing the statement on Logan Mayu at 12.30 while there are like 60 signings going on. We see what you're doing, Jeff. You're not clever. Uh, everybody caught it. Um, so just a bad look overall. And I, you know, I, I didn't think Montreal was going to be a playoff team anyways, and now I really don't think they're going to be one. 
Yeah, and I, and with with the decision with the statement from Molson as well, I think it was insulting to the intelligence of hockey fans everywhere. The idea that people didn't know that this was being swept under the rug. I think it was a terrible decision. Um, if we're talking just pure hockey, though, I, I believe uh, I, I think you're bang on with the matchup thing. And we saw it in the Stanley Cup final during the home games for Tampa Bay when they had last change and they were able to scheme their top line away from the Deneau line and force them to play the kid line with it was Suzuki, Caulfield, Defoley. So we actually got to look at what the Habs, how they would fare without the ability to sick to know on the other team's best players and Tampa won all those games. So it's, it's kind of telling it is Tampa. They're the best team in the league, but it's still, Hey, that they're in Montreal's division now all year long. Right. So um, I have Vegas as a loser, which may confuse some people because uh, you know, they did make a trade for Evgeny Dodonov today. They did resign Matthias Janmark, but to me, they're already strong on the wings. You already have Max Pacioretty and Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith and Mark Stone on your in your top six. So you're bringing in Dodonov, who's more of an offensive winger, and where does he fit? If he goes in, uh, on the second line, are you playing Riley Smith on the third line? Then you're spending a lot of money on your wings when what you desperately need is a center. So I don't really understand the logic there of making that move, especially you're bringing in a pretty big cap number and we assume that the trading of Mark andre Fleury, which was handled horribly by the franchise, another reason they're a loser, was to clear space for a large move for someone I assume to be Jack Eichel, for example. Um, but you're complicating things more when you're re-signing Yanmark and bringing to Donov. You're spending more money today. Uh, I know Nick Holden went out in the Donov trade, but overall still, you're, you know, if you're going to make room for Eichel, you're better off sending the Holden money out and not bringing money back in. So I'm not quite sure what Vegas's plan is. I know Kelly McCrimmon was implying that, you know, the media or pundits or whoever believe Vegas needs to center more than Vegas does, but I don't know. To me, it's pretty apparent. All due respect to Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson, this is an elite Stanley Cup contender that does not have a number one center. Uh, and also that I think really bungled the handling of the Marc-Andre Fleury thing. People can blame leaks, but a leak comes from somewhere. If there's a leak, it means someone gave that information before giving that information to Marc-Andre Fleury. So I don't think it's excusable, in my opinion. Uh, so, Ryan, let's go through now. Oh, just want to add, uh, we have we have the details about the Linus Olmark deal. It is a four-year, $5 million per season with Boston. Wow. Four, a four-year deal. That really changes things. Because... Especially when we don't know really if Rask is going to return. He's going wow, to be out for months. Significant. Very significant because we know that Jeremy Swayman, he really established himself as a big part of Boston's future plans with the way he played down the stretch. And when I heard that Olmark was – being signed by Boston, it's the reaction is okay. Yeah, he's going to fill the gap. Uh, he'll keep the seat warm for Tukarask, and Boston will figure it out later. But now, four years—that's a big commitment. What does it mean for Tukarask? What do you think, Ryan? I mean, five million dollars and five million dollars—that's wild. Four years and you know, four years, twenty million dollars tells me that Boston does not expect Tukarask to return. Um, because you, you do have Swayman, who, you know, granted, doesn't have a ton of NHL experience, uh, you know, looked great when he was there. But I think there was kind of the assumption that, um, you know, you would have Swayman um, and, you know, he would be there as Rask was, you know, recovering or, you know, making his decision. And then eventually Rask comes back. Um I mean, maybe that is the situation, and they they flip someone. I don't know. That's just that's a lot of goalies, and you know, you could send Swayman 
to the AHL. He's on his entry-level contract, so I, I suppose that's an option. Um, it just feels like there's there's got to be something to this. If you're paying that much money to Linus Allmark, then you got to have some sort of info on Tugarask that uh, we in the general public do not have. Also uh, worth noting yeah. about a trade. Uh, the Devils have moved Will Butcher in a 2022 fifth-round pick to Buffalo in return for future considerations. Of course, the Devils' blue line was a bit crowded with the signing of Andy mm. Hamilton, which is why they made that move. Correct. Yeah, and I think if I remember correctly, Will, Will, Will Butcher is uh, making well over $3 million a year. I think it's close to four, so that's clearing some cap space. He for is sure. making 3.7. 3.7, okay. For one yeah. more year. So with the Tukarask situation, to me what the Allmark signing, I think it means – one of two things. Again, we're, we're live right now, so we're not able to go digging and find out more. But uh, it either means that Tuukka Rask is going to retire because he's indicated plenty of times that he wants to be a Bruin or nothing else, and maybe the same surgery is a career ender. He's still not that old, however. I think the other scenario is that Boston is basically, I don't want to say stabbing Rask in the back. It's too dramatic, but they're just, you know, they're doing the WWE chair in the back saying, you know, we're done with you. We're going to go a different direction. In which case, Colorado, Joe Sackick, get on the phone. Tukaras can be your guy in the second half. That's got to happen. That must happen. It makes too much sense. He's the only goalie that could be available now that has the pedigree and the overall ceiling that meets what Colorado's going to need after losing Philip Grubauer. So I think that's something you have to watch, assuming Rask is not retiring. Hopefully he's not. He's a great goaltender, future Hall of Famer, and he's really not that old. He's only, what, 33, 34 years old. Um, okay, so, Ryan, now what I want to do is go through just a few of the remaining names and give me your thoughts on either if you have heard any rumblings or if you believe you, you have an idea of where they should end up, okay? So Dougie Hamilton's off the list. That happened mid-podcast here. David Krejci, what do you think at the moment? To me, that still feels like most likely Boston. Uh, you know, he's said it's, it's not about the money. Um, and, you know, I mean, here, here's a guy that's sort of been through it all with the Bruins. And, uh, he was, you know, he was very effective for them uh, when he hooked up with Taylor Hall. Uh, this past season. So it, it really feels, especially, you know, like I had said yesterday that maybe Seattle will be an option, but the fact the Kraken got Venberg, like that's the same kind of guy, uh, albeit an older one. So I'm, I'm going to say he sticks in Boston. Yeah, that's as far as I know, that's still projected to happen. So I still, I, some people are wondering if the Felino money and now the Allmark money is going to squeeze him out. But as far as I know, it's still likely to happen. If it doesn't, I said this yesterday, I think Vegas should swoop in. If they can't get Jack Eichel, that's a nice consolation prize. Uh, what about Kyle Palmieri? Well, you know, I think this is uh, a player that, you know, Islanders sticking there, certainly an option. Minnesota, that's another team that I said yesterday. Uh, I think Minnesota is still an option. They haven't really done like a ton right now. You know, there was talk of Nick Felino joining brother Marcus uh, obviously that did not happen. Uh, so if you're looking at the wild, uh, pretty quiet day there, you know, Goligoski on the back end, uh, Freddie Goudreau, uh, is your depth guy. But I, I think that, you know, Paul Mary, uh, would be a pretty good fit there still. Okay. So you're sticking to your guns. I'm sticking to my guns too. My prediction was returning to the New York Islanders. I still think it's going to happen. It's what's been kind of rumored all day long. It's not official though. Um, but I do think he did rediscover his scoring touch in the playoffs after a rough regular season. He just didn't have the support around him with all the injuries in New Jersey. I think it was forgivable. He had a really low shooting percentage. It recovered in the playoffs. So I do think uh, he's going to end up back with the Islanders. We will see. Next up, it's Brandon, Brandon Saad. I almost said Brandon Saad. It's Brandon Saad. 
who I think right now you can make a case, given the other the first couple names I've listed here, we kind of have a pretty strong sense of where they're going. To me, he's sort of the the bell of the ball, if you will, right now. Because as far as I understand, it's wide open with Brandon Sods. What do you have for him? Well, it feels like there's a lot of momentum of Sod going to St. Louis. It, it it sounds like the door is kind of closed with Colorado, which is too bad. This might this might be like one of the worst days of Joe Sackick's tenure, which is otherwise been sparkling in Colorado, but you know losing Grubauer and then sounds like they've lost Sod. Uh, the Blues love that kind of guy, you know, big, burly, two-way player. Uh, and, you know, they, they lost Jaden Schwartz, so there's an opening on the wing. Uh, Saad would give them some, some nice versatility there. Yeah, I'm with you. I think in our preview podcast, I, I listed uh, St. Louis as a good fit for Saad. I still think the Pittsburgh reunion is something to watch, uh, although Pittsburgh did sign Brock McGinn, so I'm not sure if that takes them out of the running for Saad, but I do I do like the fit. And I would keep an eye on the Toronto Maple Leafs. We know that they're bargain hunting. They've been doing it all day. And in his end-of-day presser, Kyle Dubas implied that the Leafs are still hoping to be in on this the second wave, if you will. So if no one signs Saad and he's looking more just to play for a winner again and not chase money, we'll see, although he already did that recently so we'll see but um i don't know i, I think the leafs are a team they're, they're, they're more of a sleeper but i would say st louis is a good front runner pick uh let's talk let's talk uh well we've already discussed two carasks let's talk thomas tatar to me this is the bargain this is the guy he's been one of the best play drivers in the game playing with the and gallagher his prices come down as someone who was a healthy scratch, often only played, I believe, five games during that run to the cup final, which is still staggering to me, given how well he played for the, the team in most of his tenure with the Habs. So what do you have for Thomas Tatar? Well, you know, if you're going to get him on a bargain contract, then, you know, I could see maybe Toronto taking a shot. Um, I'm also kind of wondering if New Jersey looks at him and says, here's an older guy that can maybe help some of our, some of our young forwards. Um, you know, you got Alex Holtz coming in, um, you know, as, as you mentioned the other day, Igor Sharangovich uh, had a, a pretty fantastic season, uh, but it's still a really young forward core in New Jersey. So, you know, for Tatar, if he's coming in on a bargain, um, maybe that's an opportunity for him to just kind of build up some cred once again and, uh, you know, sort of put things back on track for himself and, and help out New Jersey in the short term. I think the, the best revenge narrative for Thomas Tatar would be to sign with the Leafs because then, you know, so, you your numbers, your bargain, you can get revenge on the team that scratched you. I, I do think that the Oilers could save their offseason if they could steal Thomas Tatar uh, on a cheaper deal, kind of like what they gave to Dominic Cahoon last summer, a little you know more expensive than that. But to me, if you can add him to that top six, you have the news on the left wing, you have now Zach Hyman, but... Uh, Tatar for a lot of his career has been one of those swing guys who you can, you can play him on the right side if you have to. You can juggle. Obviously, Ryan Nugent Hopkins can also play center. So there's enough versatility there that I think that would be a nice little steal. And we know, of course, Ken Holland was the GM when Detroit drafted Thomas Tatar. So there's an affinity there, I would assume. Uh, Ryan Murray, who do you have? I mean, Ryan Murray is a pretty interesting one because, I, I again, I, I still think that he would have value in New Jersey. Now, I mean, the X factor now is you bring in Dougie Hamilton. What does that mean for P.K. Subban, uh, who is one final year on that $9 million uh, cap hit? So I'm not sure what New Jersey plans on doing there because Subban's play really kind of fell off. Um, I, I think, you know, Murray, when healthy, he can be just kind of a solid guy for you. And I would say, you know, if he doesn't stick in New Jersey – 
then you're, you know, you're trying to look for a team that, you know, maybe needs just somebody um, to give some minutes. Uh, It's kind of a tough one. I think, does he want to go to a rebuild? You know, does he want to go to say Buffalo? Uh, Does he want to head back to Columbus? Um, You know, does he want to go to Detroit and help out? I think it really kind of depends on where Ryan Murray sees himself in his career right now and and kind of what his aspirations are. Is he just trying to stay healthy and and stay on track? Then it doesn't really matter where he goes, but he needs the opportunity. And a rebuilding team might be the way to go there. Yeah, it's an interesting dilemma for him because he spent a lot of his career since he was the, the number two pick in 2012. He spent most of his career, I would say, playing for rebuilder type squads. And I wonder if he's at the juncture now where he's kind of similar to Taylor Hall, ready to just get some minutes in on a winner. I wonder about the New York Islanders. I don't know if they can make the money fit. They're always up against the cap these days, but they did lose Nick Letty in the expansion draft. So I do think Murray would be an interesting replacement for Letty. Left shot, he's pretty mobile. Um, Not as naturally offensively talented as Letty, I'd say, but I think Murray's probably got a stronger two-way game. So that would be an interesting fit if the money worked. But you never know. I, I don't think any teams can fear making the money work these days. It seems like cap space doesn't even matter with all the types of the trades and the manipulations of LTIR we're seeing. We know Lou Lamorello has proven himself to be a master of that. So I think the Islanders could still be a contender for someone like Ryan Murray. Uh, who do you have for Mr. Zach Parise? Well, Parise, it really sounds like he's going to the Islanders. That would be a nice little reunion. Uh, with GM Lou Lamorello, they obviously knew each other quite well back in the Devils days. Um, and if it's not the Islanders, then uh, the Devils themselves uh, would be kind of a fun reunion. And again, you know, much in the same way uh, that we talked earlier uh, with Tatar, uh, Parise would be a fantastic mentor for a lot of those Devils forwards. Um, so to me, those are the two most likely scenarios. I, I don't know what kind of contract you're looking at because obviously he was bought out by the Minnesota Wild, so you don't have to necessarily pay top dollar. Um, But if you're looking for fit, I would say both those franchises, the Islanders and the Devils, uh, would be very soft, nice, comfy uh, landing spots for Parise. Yeah, I'm with you. I have the Isles for for Zach Parise as well, just based on what's been floated around there. And the interesting thing about Zach Parise is the, the way we define him now has totally changed now that he's liberated from that contract. So Because for the second half of that deal, it was, oh, Zach Parise, oh, the albatross, he's not doing anything close to justifying that cap hit, which is more than $7.5 million. But now it's like, oh, you can get Zach Parise for a Jason Spezza deal, where you, know, you pay him the league minimum, but then you have a bunch of performance bonuses added in there. Hey, certainly he could be possibly pretty valuable. He's your third line left winger, something like that. It's like, okay, yeah. I'm on board for Zach Parise at that price. It's totally different. So good for you, Zach Parise, for being freed of your crazy awesome contract that you had before. <laughs> uh, we'll do one more. It seems like we're just we're in Islander land right now for whatever reason, but uh, I have Casey Zizekas as, as the next guy uh, on the ladder. So what are you thinking for fits for him at this point? I mean, staying on Long Island is obviously the one that kind of makes the most sense just because – I mean, he's so loved there, and he fits so well. You know, I mean, Casey Sezikis is such an Islander, just the way he plays. If he was to go somewhere, I mean, Montreal would make sense if they could make it work. Uh, you know, we, we you, know, you lose Deneau, and you know, Sezikis 
is not as defensively staunch as Deneau is. I mean, few centers are in the NHL at this point. But Sezegas can play that bottom six role very well. He's very physical. Uh, he would give the Habs a dimension that they don't really have much of right now up front. And um, and you kind of need that guy. It would at least give you a, a fighting chance to go for a playoff spot in the division. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I have written down here. Islanders want him, but if not, to no replacement. I do think it, it would solve that matchup problem that Montreal might be heading for, unless they really think that you know someone like Jake Evans is ready to take on that role. Uh, so it makes sense to me. Well, that's it for this live show, running down what's happened so far today. We're going to have lots more coverage in the days to come because there are still a lot of names out there, possible trades that are going to happen as a result of that flat salary cap, $81.5 million. It's continuing to be a crazy offseason. I, I don't think it's done yet. So keep going to the Hockey News website. We'll be there with the stories as they happen. Thank you for watching or listening. Honey, honey, won't you buy my disease? There's a thousand different problems that feed into me. I'm aggressive, yes, I guess I'm a bit of a bug, but so what?